The last couple of weeks, I've been reading and reflecting upon one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And I was reflecting upon this passage a couple weeks ago around New Year's Day because Emily and I had the chance to go to the mountains in Swanee, Tennessee with her parents and I got to go on hikes there. And whenever I'm in the mountains, I always think back to this psalm and the psalm is saying, I lift my eyes to the hills. And, and this week, I was drawn back to it on Wednesday as, as most of us watched. As most of us watched rioters storming the Capitol. And we were asking this question in the midst of fear and uncertainty. We were asking the question the psalmist asked, where will help come from? Who will save us from this chaos and from violence? Who will be our refuge and our strength. And I've been asking this question this week. I think many of us have in this room, many in our nation, because we saw on Wednesday in that group of people storming the Capitol, including people carrying Christian flags, we saw people who, who answered this question, where, where does help come from? We saw them say, okay, violence and destruction is going to help. We've been asking this question, where will help come from? Because with Officer Brian Sicknick's death, we've seen with our own eyes what can happen when some people give allegiance to philosophies and politicians and put them over our call to love the people right in front of us. We've been asking this question, where, where does help come from? Because we are a broken and a divided People And, you know, the temptation when, when stuff hits the news and, and when we're seeing all the headlines, the temptation is to say, you know, that, that was them. That's a small group of people. They don't represent us. But I think in the house of God, we're called to be honest and to search our own hearts. And I think as people of faith, if we're honest this morning and we come before God with a humble spirit, we can confess together that the anger, the vitriol, the emotions that have been overflowing this week and, and weeks before this, I think we can all acknowledge that, that those emotions sit just beneath the surface in our own hearts. If we can be honest, I think we can acknowledge that as John Calvin once said, our hearts are little idol factories. And politics has become an idol in our culture. I think if we're honest, so often as Christians, we want the kingdom of God but we don't want to live like Jesus, the King. So often, we want to take things into our own hands. 
and try to fix things ourselves. But, but I've been drawn to this psalm because it, because it reorients us to the truth. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And, and these days, it's easy to think, okay, our help comes from politicians. And politicians are, are important, and the decisions and the policies they make can have a life and death impact on us. A lot of times we think our, our, our salvation is going to come from elections. A new slate of legislatures is going to save us. And elections are extremely important in a democratic society. But the psalmist reminds us that where does our help come from? Our ultimate help, our ultimate hope, our ultimate refuge and strength is the Lord God Almighty and He alone. And this psalm, if you look in your Bible at the little like top script above it, it says it's, it's a psalm of ascent. Psalm 121, a psalm of ascent. And, and what this means is that as people were going to Jerusalem, pilgrims and, and people going to religious festivals a few times a year, what this means is that, that they would have sung this psalm as they went. They would have prayed it as they were traveling. And if you know anything about Jerusalem, whenever Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible, it says people go up to Jerusalem because it's a city of hills on a mountain, basically. And so as they're traveling, the pilgrims, there would have been hills all around them with with robbers, marauders, temples to false gods. But but the Psalms, as they prayed them and read them, would have reminded them, "I, I lift my eyes to the hills. And as they looked towards Jerusalem, they would have said, where does my help come from? And as they looked towards the temple where God's presence resided, they would have been reminded, my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. And this morning, and really the next few weeks, I want to talk with you about something we read in verse 1, where the psalmist says, I lift my eyes. I want to talk with you about our eyes, our attention, and our focus. Because I believe that what has our attention has us. Where our focus is will determine our future. And once again, if we can be honest in the house of God this morning, I think we can admit that we are a distracted people. And so often our attention is on so many other things in the world and not on God. And I want to talk with you about about this theme of, of our eyes, our attention, our focus, because when I was in the mountains hiking in Swanee and reflecting on 2020 and 2021, having no idea what was to come, obviously like none of us, I felt like God spoke to me very, very, very quietly and said, I want you to preach on prayer, fasting, and consecration. Prayer, fasting, and consecration. And if you think about those things, especially prayer and fasting, a lot of times when we think about prayer and fasting, we think, okay, these are things that that we do to get God to focus on us. These are are things we do. These are practices if we pray and if we fast enough, then finally God will turn to us, God will listen to us, and maybe he will answer our prayers if we fast the right number of days or the right number of meals or we we pray every day for 30 days. Then God will turn his focus to us. But I think this is a very transactional way of viewing things. Because I don't think prayer and fasting and these other spiritual practices we call spiritual disciplines are about getting God's attention on us. Instead, they're about us turning our attention towards God. 
whose attention is always on us, his children. And so this morning, I want to offer you a, a very basic message on the first of these themes, and that theme is, is prayer. Prayer. And, and this week, as I was preparing the message on prayer, you know, it was interesting because on, on Wednesday, if your Facebook feed was anything like mine, it was filled with people saying, hey, we need to pray. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray because we don't, we, don't, we don't know what to do. The church shared some prayers. They were shared widely on social media. You might have seen the videos of the senators and the congressmen and congresswomen huddled on the floor, unsure of what was gonna happen next, and, and they were praying together. And I think the reason we saw so many people turn to prayer in these moments in our country, in this crisis, is because of what Abraham Lincoln says here. He says, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. And so when he felt that way, he prayed. And and this leads many of us to pray, right? When we don't know what to do, when we don't know where to turn, We pray. And I think this is because in every single person that's been created, there's an impulse to turn towards something, to turn towards someone, to connect beyond ourselves, to to seek out wisdom and love and, and guidance. And this is why people across the world pray in many different languages and many different faiths. But as, as people who follow Jesus Christ, we know that, that that thing inside of us that we were created to turn towards, we know that thing is a person. It's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in times where we don't know what to do and we need guidance, we need care, we need peace, we turn to him. And this is a good thing. It's, it's a great thing that on Wednesday, our, our nation, or a large part of it, was praying. But you know how the cycle goes, right? Wednesday, we're all praying because we don't know what to do. And then by Friday, we're back to fighting again. And, and we think, you know what? We have to take things into our own hands. We have to fix it all ourselves. And, and we, we, we kind of push prayer to the side. And we live on our own until when? Until another crisis and then we pray again, and then we feel like, okay, we got it, we, we have what it takes, and then the cycle starts over and over and over again. And I think this happens in our lives because there are many, many barriers to prayer and living a life of prayer today. And one of them, one of the ones that, that first comes to mind, especially right now, I think, is self-sufficiency. I think a lot of times we don't pray because we think, you know what, we, we've got it. We can take care of ourselves. We, we can do it on our own. If, if we get a new job, we get a new car, we get a new set of politicians, then things will be okay. And so we, we live a prayerless life until we realize, okay, we're not actually self-sufficient. That's one barrier. Another barrier, I think a bigger one, for me in my life, it isn't self-sufficiency, but it's, it's distraction. It's distraction. 
And some of you know we have, a, we have a prayer team here that meets, they meet on conference call every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. throughout this whole season where we've, we've been gathering in coronavirus and gathering online. And so on, on Wednesday, a group text began as we're just watching it unfold and none of us have any idea what's going on. And, and so they said, hey, let's jump on a conference call and let's pray, let's pray for our country. And that was awesome that, that, that our people in our church, you, like our first response is let's pray. And so we're on the conference call. I'm listening to other people pray. And I wanna be honest before you this morning. While we're in this corporate prayer meeting on conference call, you know, I start scrolling on my phone, checking social media, checking the news, checking Facebook. Not, not so that I could know exactly what I needed to pray for in that moment, but because I was distracted, even in the midst of a prayer meeting. And I don't think I'm alone in this because here's the thing, everything in our culture is seeking to distract us and is seeking our attention. I mean, when we think about big tech and we think about social media and we think about all these companies and all these marketers, what is the one thing they want? They want our attention. I heard a pastor in New York City, John Tyson, he said, attention leads to adoration. Attention leads to adoration and that's what all of these companies want. They want adoration. They want our hearts. They want our money. They want our lives. What do they want? They want our focus. We live in what's called the attention economy where everybody is fighting for our attention and so it makes focusing on God very difficult. Other, other reasons why people don't pray, one of them is, you know, some people just don't know how to pray. And maybe that's you, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But, but there's another barrier to prayer, which I think is bigger than self-sufficiency, being distracted, not knowing how, or anything like that. And, and there's a, a, a writer, church leader named Pete Gregg. He wrote this amazing book. Here's a little product placement, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And he has led prayer movements across the world for over two decades now. He helped found a 24-7 prayer movement where churches and communities all around the world are praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he said after two decades traveling the world, teaching about prayer, he said, you know what I think the number one barrier to prayer is for people? Their view of God. He said so many people think God is sitting up in heaven, displeased with us, disappointed with us, angry at us, waiting for us to persuade him in prayer as we, we cry out or trying to placate him. He said a lot of us think about God as just sitting up there angry like a master who's just ready to get us. And he says, if that's your view of prayer, well, of course, of course you wouldn't go to God in prayer regularly. But when we look at scripture, you know that the image we find, the image Jesus gives us of God isn't anything like that. Instead, in the parable of the prodigal son, what we find is after a son squalors away his life, his inheritance is living a life of sin, and he finally turns and comes home. What does the father do? The father runs towards him. 
in the midst of his mess, in the midst of his sin, and the father embraces him and loves him and throws him a party. He says that's what our God is like. Our God's focus is always on his children. And he's waiting there. He, he is closer than we imagine. He's just waiting for us to turn ever so slightly and speak to him so that we can talk with him because he loves us and his focus is always on us. And in his paraphrase of the Bible, the message Eugene Peterson, I love what he says in Matthew chapter six as Jesus is giving instructions about prayer to his disciples. Here how, here's how he paraphrases it, beginning in verse five. He says, when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom, do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Here, here's his paraphrase of Jesus' words. This is your father you're dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. And with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. See, when we move past the barriers to prayer, it's then we can begin to receive the blessings of prayer. And Jesus highlights one of the key blessings to prayer here, and that is intimacy with God. When we come before God and we're honest about the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives, when we come before him and we say, God, I'm angry at everything going on in the world. God, I'm angry and I hate other people. God, I am sad. I am, am broken. When we come before God and just give him what's on our hearts, what we'll find is God doesn't turn away from us. Instead, God turns towards us. He draws near to us. When we pray for peace, God gives us his peace. When we pray for guidance, God gives us guidance. When we come to God in prayer, he will give us wisdom, his power, and his presence. There are so many blessings to prayer. Through prayer, he shapes our character. And you know, prayer isn't the only thing we do as Christians, but it's the first thing we do as Christians. And it's the first thing we do because it's through prayer that the Holy Spirit fills us encounters us and empowers us to actually live like Jesus Christ in this world. Things that we cannot do on our own. And Lewis Baldwin, who's a scholar of Martin Luther King Jr. at Vanderbilt University, he says that after researching King's life, which is his life's work, he says one of the things you'll notice during Martin Luther King's life is that he would oftentimes spend hours in his hotel room alone. Praying. He says that what King would do is oftentimes at the height of the civil rights movement, he would go off for a couple days at a time on prayer retreats. And leaders in this nonviolent movement, what they would do is they would pray before gatherings. Why? Because it was through prayer that God guided them. 
that God shaped their character, that God gave them wisdom, and God gave them courage. And I think that's a lesson for us in our day. That before we, we go out and, and we, we get active and we're putting our faith into action to, to try to help the brokenness all around us, which we're called to do, I think we need to pray to reorient our hearts so that we're focused on the right things once we say amen and we get to work. And we don't know, we don't know exactly what what King and others prayed for, but, but my hunch is their prayers were modeled after the prayer Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, where he says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in the original prayer, in the original languages, this was only 31 words long. And it kind of had a rhyming scheme that it went along with. And so in a sense, it's like Jesus is saying here, hey, when you pray, keep it simple and don't overcomplicate it. And if we think about the Lord's Prayer as a framework for our own prayers, uh, in Pete Gregg's book, he kind of gives a, a framework that's built upon the Lord's Prayer that, that provides us some basics of prayer. And, and during this last year where we've had so many challenges, where oftentimes, honestly, I just don't even know what to pray or where to begin, this framework has been very helpful for me. And so I have it for you here. This, this is kind of some of the basics of prayer. And it's an acronym, if you notice, P-R-A-Y. And, and, and prayer begins, Greek says, and I, I agree with him, it begins with pausing, with being still and knowing that God is God. Isn't that so hard to do today? But this is what Jesus says. He, he says, go to a place, shut the door. This is what Jesus modeled for us. He, he said, when you go, go privately. When Jesus was doing his ministry, he would go early in the morning. He would go late in the evening. He would draw away from the crowds in prayer to get away from distractions. Susanna Wesley, the, the mother of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, she had 10 kids she raised in a little house. She didn't have her own prayer room. So it's said that she used to pull her apron over her head. And when she pulled her apron over her head, that was a sign to her kids, mama is praying. And so let her have a little space. And so for you, it might be turning your phone on do not disturb. It might be going to a separate room. It might be having a dedicated time or a chair, pulling away from all of the news, all of the distractions. But prayer begins with, with pausing. And then we move to rejoicing. Rejoicing, praising God for who he is, for what he's done. Giving him adoration and thanksgiving. Jesus says, pray our our Father, we celebrate His love and His grace and the fact that He sent Jesus 
into the world for us. We celebrate he's our father, but also that he's in heaven, that he is majestic, that he is bigger than us, that he is mysterious, that he is all powerful and every good gift comes from him. We give him thanks for who he is and what he's done. And this is, this is part of prayer that oftentimes we skip. But this is a huge, important part. And then we move to asking. We move to asking. If you look in the Lord's Prayer, there, there's a lot of asks. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Forgive us our sins. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And asking is a very important part of our prayer lives. Sometimes when I'm praying, I like to think about Jesus' question to blind Bartimaeus. He asked him, he said, what, what can I do for you? So when you pray, you can imagine Jesus asking you that question, what can I do for you? It's okay to ask him for things personally in, in prayer, but, but we don't just ask for things for ourselves. We also intercede on behalf of other people. So we offer intercessions for, for those who are sick, for those who are lonely. We, we offer intercessions for our family, for our church. Scripture says for pastors. Scripture tells us to pray for political leaders. And so we pray for them. And Paul at one point, he just says, you know what? Hey, pray for all people. So we pray for all people. We ask God for things in prayer. And then we yield. We yield, we yield our very lives to him. And we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom and how I think it should be built, not how I think it should come about. Your kingdom come in your way, with your methods, in your manner, in your time. This is where we listen. And we we confess the ways that that we've tried to do it on our own. We've tried to live on our own power. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to guide us as we move from prayer to action. So we pause, we rejoice, we ask, we yield. But whenever we pray, we have to make sure the focus isn't on a technique or on what we say or what we don't say or are we doing it right or are we doing it wrong, but we have to always make sure the focus is the heart of God. And God's heart is one of love towards us. His focus is on us. And so as we pray, we remember that he is just waiting for us to talk with him. And so if this acronym, uh, the PRAY acronym is helpful, take it. If it's not, leave it. If you have a, a way of praying that's, that's working for you, keep it up. If you don't know where to begin, I would say just start in just a moment. Start this evening. If you find prayer awkward or difficult in these days, just show up. Just show up day after day after day. And as you show up in prayer, what you'll find is your focus turns back to God, who is our helper, who is our refuge, who is our strength, who is our salvation. And so this morning, you know, one of the things we teach here is we don't want to just talk about it. We want to be about it. And so we're going to, we're going to close with a guided prayer time together. And I know, especially for people online, if you're watching, the temptation right now is to exit out. 
click on notifications and, and even here to say, you know what? Okay, sermon's over, service is over, but, but, but stay, stay with us. Because I think right now our impulse is right. We need to pray. Pray for one another. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for one another. And so, so I invite you to, to bow your heads in prayer with me. And I, I'm just going to basically go through that structure of, of, of prayer. We're going to pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. So God, we pause before you right now. Remembering that you are God and we are not. That you are holy, majestic, and your gaze is upon us. God, we give you thanks and praise for creating us, for sustaining our world in the midst of of sin and brokenness. God, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. And we celebrate your love for us and for all people. God, we thank you for the gifts in our lives. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the freedoms that we have. God, we we thank you for our, our finances and for our homes and for job situations. God, we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so thank you, God. This morning we ask We ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness for all the ways we've we've fallen short, for all the ways we've sinned and we've created idols. We've, We've put good things above you. We've made good things, great things in our lives. We have put our attention, our focus, our gaze on so much else instead of you. So we pray for forgiveness this morning. We ask that that you would give us guidance as people of faith for how to live in, in this tumultuous season that we're in. We ask that you would give us wisdom. God, we pray that, that in the midst of divisions in our country that you would give us unity in our church, that we might be a witness as we are one with Christ and we are one with each other. We pray that it might be a witness to the world that oneness is possible in a world of division. God, we pray for those those who are sick, those who are hurting God, for, for so many who are sick with coronavirus. We pray for healing. We pray for a quick end. And God, in the midst of everything going on, we pray especially this morning for our political leaders. We pray for President Trump. We pray that you would give him wisdom and guidance on how to navigate these days ahead. God, we pray for President-elect Biden that, that, that you give him those same things, God. Give him wisdom. Give him a plan. Give him a vision 
for how we can come together as a country and be healed. God, we we don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know the answers. If we knew the answers, it would all be fixed, God, but we just know we need you. We need your spirit. We need your guidance. God, would you heal our land? Would you heal our nation? Would you heal the brokenness and the anger in our own hearts? God, we need you. We need you. And, and, and God, finally, we, we just, we yield ourselves to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to us even now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us supernatural grace to live with the fruit of the Spirit. God, we pray that our wills wouldn't be done, but that your will would be done in your way. So God, in these moments, we, we just hand over our lives, our church, we hand over everything to you. And we say, have your way, God. Have your way. We ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.